Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. Today, we are thrilled to once again be joined by Kristen and Caroline of Unladylike and of this show. Welcome. Uh, (laughs) We're so glad to have you, Kristen and Caroline. Hello. Thank you for having us. Hi there, y'all. We're so happy to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. And uh, when we were planning out this episode, Samantha reminded us that it was February 2020, was it? Yes. (laughs) When we were last recording together. And little did we know what was to come. What was to come. We actually went out together had some drinks, mm-hmm. had some pictures taken, had some I mean, crab what? legs. Had yes. <laughs> we that did. was a joy. That was joy. So much joy. That's it incredible. Was. I we really snuck that one in there, y'all. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we, we didn't know. We didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess oh those are some of the last pictures of me like out in the world. Yeah. That is one thing I have noticed in this pandemic that's like a really lesser impact is that from the past like year and a half, I've taken maybe 50 pictures. <laughs> like <laughs> <Yeah>. maybe. <laughs> and that was one of the last occasions of actual picture taking and joy that wasn't like, look at this plant in my apartment. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, know. I don't get that because I've taken a lot of pictures. But yes, they're all of peaches, my dog. Right. Yes. So I think because I'm home more and I'm like, oh my God, you're so cute. Oh, is it because I haven't been out and talked to people? Okay, cool. Let me take a picture. <laughs> Which seems right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the the benefits, I suppose, of having a pet. It's Uh, true. You can annoy everyone else with it. You have something to take a photograph of. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Instead of my like, look at this D&D setup I did, and it just looks like a computer and a sheet of graph paper. (laughs) I know. Does that graph paper love you back? (laughs) I've been pushing for both Caroline and Annie to get a dog of sorts. Or an animal of sorts no. for the past year. I have been trying, so absolutely no. Just saying. Uh, maybe one of these days when I am living in a more settled situation and I know I won't be moving, I will bring an animal into my life. Caroline, not to be totally creepy, but I kid you not, the other day I ran across a photo of a corgi. <gasps> And I was thinking, when is Caroline going to get a corgi? I can't wait to see that happen. So I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for both of them. Yeah, you know, my boyfriend and I recently hit a rough patch because he said that he thought corgis were obnoxious. Oh, (gasps) wow. And uh, I was like, wow, I don't... mm, (sighs) Suddenly not sure if I see a future. You're going to have to process that. I know. He just needs to meet some corgis. <laughs> Your boyfriend and I bonded over this, though, because I was like, I think dogs are overrated. Don't yell at me, internet. I already got the hate from it. And he was like, yes, I agree. And I was like, he, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so we've got a real, a real podcast divided. I know. <laughs> well, it's pretty much just me, I think. And then the internet doesn't like my opinions about it. <laughs> yeah, Annie, I can't believe you just said that again. 
<laughs> I'll she say it over and over to, again. She continues to say this. I think she just wants to see who's You're ready courting to fight. controversy. <laughs> You're just trying to land on the front page of the newspaper. You're right. You've really figured me out, Caroline. I want to be on the front page of the newspaper. Podcaster <laughs> <laughs> newspaper. like dogs. It's, I think they're overrated. Not that I don't like them. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Sure. Oof. I will, I, I've weathered that before. I'll weather it again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's all we're talking about today. What topic did you bring for us to discuss today? We brought women and ADHD. Oh, it sounds like you were answering a trivia question. That was wonderful. I'll take ADHD for 400, Alex. Oh, <laughs> rip. R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> I brought sad jokes. That's what I Oh, darn. That's my line. Yeah. And this is a topic that I know when I've thought about things that I didn't understand or appreciate in terms of becoming more feminist and understanding things, that is one where previous topics on this show that um, you two did were about autism and and how women are underdiagnosed or often misunderstood in terms of that whole thing. And that was just like such an eye-opener for me. And I personally have friends who are women and who were diagnosed with ADHD as adults. And they've told me how much of a relief it was and how much it's changed their life. And they didn't know, they just assumed that that wasn't something that women, adults dealt with, and especially women dealt with. Right. Yeah. I mean, we put out a graphic on social media that uh, was a quote from a listener who basically said that she had realized that all of the ADHD symptoms that she'd been reading about um, (laughs) were things that she was also dealing with, and she connected the dots. And anyway, we put that out on social, and the response, Annie, was really similar. It was uh, just overwhelming with adults, <laughs> adult grown-ass <laughs> folks being like, I always thought I was lazy or I just thought I couldn't get my together. And it turns out that my brain is just different and I've been able to get help or I've been able to find ways to deal with this ADHD and I'm just so relieved and validated. But there was also a big undertone of I'm I'm relieved now and I'm grateful now for this diagnosis, but I am also so sad for that young girl who didn't know what was wrong and just thought it must be me. It's my fault. I'm stupid, bad, lazy, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The response that we got to just that Instagram post told us that, okay, we probably need to make this episode. And once we started going through like listener requests in our Unladylike email inbox, it turns out that ADHD is one of, if not the most requested topic that we've gotten. And I'm glad that you mentioned autism, Annie, because there are a lot of like diagnostic parallels in terms of there's that gender gap in childhood where boys are much likelier to get diagnosed. And like autism, ADHD was first like clinically defined solely based on boys' behavior. And even though 
experts have started catching up to, oh, yeah, this happens for girls too, there's still a gender gap. And also that means like if you just think generationally, there are a lot of like millennial women who were totally overlooked as kids who are just now starting to find diagnoses um, in their 30s and even 40s. So quickly, can we backtrack because we definitely jumped into it, but just to kind of give a grounding, can you give us a definition of what ADHD actually is? Yeah, so ADHD is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, and it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. It's also been described as a disorder of executive function. Um, It has many names and many descriptions, but it is basically just a different way of brains being wired, and it can manifest in a couple different ways. So you've got the stereotypical hyperactive impulsive. That's the usually what's associated with the stereotypical like boy ADHD behavior. So like not being able to sit still, you're going to climb every tree, you probably can't focus in class, Um, you're fidgety. There's also the inattentive type ADHD, which is typically more often diagnosed in girls, but this is the quieter, more overlooked type. It could look like daydreaminess, spacing out, you know, and because of its more like quiet internal nature, it is easy to overlook and it is easy to just dismiss girls with it as being like, oh, you're just some like space cadet dits. And then the third type is a combo. It's a swirl and it's just a mix of that inattentive and hyperactive impulsive. And one way that a listener described it to us is that you have the part of your brain that knows kind of what you need to get done and then the part of your brain that can like actually accomplish things. And there's basically with ADHD, there's a communication breakdown in terms of sort of that emotional regulation and essentially (laughs) making that conversion from what you need to do to actually doing and staying focused and motivated. But even as I'm describing this, I I I I don't want to put it too much in terms of just productivity and achievement because that is that's another wrinkle in the broader like ADHD conversation and kind of like what really is the problem? Is it the problem that like we we don't accept neurodiversity and make room for neurodiversity in different kinds of brains and how they work in our society? Or is this a problem of like, we expect people to be too productive and stay on task all the time? Yeah, that's uh, something that has been on my mind a lot, especially during this quarantine, is this whole idea of productivity because I was sharing this story recently where I was like laid out for my second dose of the vaccine and yet, I was working and proud of myself for it. And uh, then I had to stop and be like, wait, that's real unhealthy. (laughs) Why are you (laughs) just celebrating that you're miserable and still working? That's not, that's not good. (laughs) Oof, I feel you though. I can relate to that. When I, I had COVID and the thing that made me the most annoyed was not the fact that I had COVID, (laughs) but that I couldn't get my work done for a couple (laughs) weeks. 
And that was my moment of like, oh my God, okay, okay, come on. Priorities are maybe maybe misaligned (laughs) here. I was wondering if you have some history that you could give us because it does feel like historically it has been thought to be this thing that impacts mainly boys or men. And now the conversation is kind of shifting. Well, I'm glad you asked, Annie, because I think one of the biggest myths out there about ADHD is that it's some kind of newfangled phenomenon, that it's just a product of too much screen time and social media. Don't we all have ADHD these days? But it is actually not new at all. Yeah. These symptoms have been described in clinical literature for roughly 200 years now. Yeah, and it obviously, not surprisingly, has not always been called ADHD. It's had a bunch of different names as researchers have studied these issues of attention and focus and motivation. But 1787 was the first time that we get a description of a disorder that appears similar to ADHD. And this was a Scottish doctor named Sir Alexander Crichton. And to give you a hint as to how what we call ADHD was viewed, he included his findings in a book of research dedicated to quote-unquote mental derangement. So not always a great view of people with different types of abilities to focus. (laughs) Um, Not a big, like, focus on uh, neurodiversity in 1787. Shocker. Yeah, (laughs) shocker. And what I love, Sir Crichton points out that in some people, just about anything can distract them, almost to the point of enraging them. And he says, they say they have the fidgets. And I I was like, honestly, that's like me all the time. (laughs) And then I start to think about that time that my therapist told me on like our first or second session ever together, like, I think you have an undiagnosed attention issue. (laughs) He's like, you got the fidgets, Caroline. I got the fidgets. (laughs) Okay, speaking of the fidgets, I'm so glad that we are able to talk about ADHD with you and get a little nerdy on the history. Because one thing that we did not include in our episode on ADHD was that in 1844, there was this German doctor named Heinrich Hoffmann, who I think his son had ADHD or, you know, something like it. And he ended up creating some illustrated children's stories to, like, help kids. And he called the main character Fidgety Phil. And I just love that. (laughs) I also love that in German, Fidgety Phil's name was Zappel Philip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly, like, probably the funniest part is Kristen's accent when she says Zappel Philip. (laughs) That, That is probably the best part. That's good. That's pretty good. Pretty solid. But yeah, but so it was 1902, though, when things really start picking up in terms of physicians and researchers really pinning down ADHD, because that is when Sir George Frederick Still, who was considered the father of British pediatrics, identified ADHD as an abnormal defect of moral control in children. 
So basically, if you can't, as, as a kid, if you could not conform to this idea of the good of all, if you couldn't assimilate, if you couldn't fit in, you, you were considered a moral failure. And I think that that really echoes into how people view folks with ADHD. And it echoes in a lot of the shame that people with ADHD have reported feeling because there was always this underlying moral component of like, you aren't being productive enough. You aren't sitting still and listening and doing your work and being mature. We just don't know what to do with you. Yeah. And and if we jump forward into more of the modern understanding of ADHD, by the 1980s, researchers had pinned down like the, the three main symptoms that we're talking about when we talk about ADHD, which is that inattentiveness, impulsivity, and hyperactivity, which, like we mentioned earlier, can sort of mix up into different types of cocktails that either lean more impulsive or inattentive or the swirl, like Caroline mentioned, the combination of both. But it wasn't until the 90s, the 1990s, that cases of childhood ADHD really started climbing. And part of this was because there were changes made in like the public school system that finally classified ADHD as a learning disability. So one of the reasons why you started to see a lot more kids and specifically boys getting diagnosed with ADHD at that point was because teachers for the first time were really paying closer attention to those symptoms and the like education laws were requiring schools to facilitate for that. So it wasn't just like, again, some kind of modern thing cooked up by parents who just didn't want to discipline their fidgety fills, their zapophilops <laughs> running around. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm kind of lean because we are talking about what it looked like in the 90s and how that quickly changed because we started having a standard for the schools to provide things like IEPs or individualized education plans. And for me, who has worked in the juvenile justice system, I often never saw ADHD as part of the diagnosis, but I often saw behavioral issues instead, which was a misdiagnosis more oftentimes than not. So my thought process with this and a question for you is, how do you see that translated for young girls? Because typically, as I knew it, and maybe I can answer my own question, but do you see this as being where we see young boys being told of their behavioral issues, they're angry, they're too out of control, but we see girls somehow being sexualized in that diagnosis. So they're mm. hyper-sexually active, according to them, whether it's because they're flirty or, or it comes out to that. Did you research that that was a proponent to when misdiagnosis for young girls when it was ADHD? Does that make sense? Yeah, so I... I myself didn't come across anything specifically regarding like hypersexualization or interpreting behavior as hypersexualized, but we did find a couple of things that relate to what you're talking about. So one, okay, that we're, we're we're being very binary and we're being very stereotypical here. I just want to preface what I'm about to say with that. So typically, boys ADHD gets noticed sooner. And they get it addressed in the school sooner and more effectively. And that's kind of because 
as Kristen has said, the squeaky wheel gets the riddle in, so to speak, because, because they tend to exhibit the more stereotypical behaviors, right, of the hyperactivity, the inability to sit still, the, the Zapple Phillips of the world. Girls who perhaps are exhibiting hyperactive behaviors will exhibit some of the same behaviors as the boys, the fidgeting, all of that. But it also might manifest as being super talkative, being hyper-emotional, things that are written off as, ugh, girls. They're so hormonal, ugh. You know, just girls being girls in a very sexist binary kind of way. And girls are already more likely to be held back in school than boys are. And so if they have the inattentive type of ADHD, rather than a teacher going, huh, she's staring out the window all day, or huh, she forgot to take notes today, rather than thinking she might have ADHD or she might have a learning disability or anything like that that should be addressed, that girl is more likely to be held back. You layer that on top of a racial situation where Black girls in our schools are already more likely to be adultified, criminalized, and pushed out of school. And yeah, you, you do have a recipe for, for disaster when it comes to, to girls in school with ADHD. Yeah, I, I think it's worth noting at this point that in terms of the clinical research and public awareness around ADHD, it seems like since the early 2000s, We've started catching up on the gender piece um, because, in fact, the first long-term study of girls with ADHD was not published until 2002, which is pretty astonishing. So we are starting to make progress in that. However, there are so many other like intersectional layers to this issue that still we still have a long way to go on that because uh, one one piece that we read underscored that uh, regardless of gender, white English-speaking students in U.S. classrooms are the ones who are far and away likelier to not only be diagnosed with ADHD, but also treated with ADHD. Whereas, and this gets back to what you've observed, Samantha, I think that students of color, again, regardless of gender, their quote-unquote problematic behavior in the classroom is likelier to be written off as behavioral problems. And that also goes back to this old-school moralizing of oh, you know, this isn't, this isn't an issue with their brain. It's just, you know, an absence of self-discipline and they just don't want to behave. Right. And that's... I have so many follow-up questions to that, but um, that has been something on my mind is sort of morality we've put on productivity, especially in this country. And before we started recording, we were joking about... Uh, Samantha was joking about feeling like an abject failure. And actually... That is the first episode we did together was called Are We Failures? And I think throughout this, I've been picking up on words that uh, you, Kristen and Caroline, have been using when it comes to this that are just like these really negative self-talk words, like you are lazy or you're being immoral and really turning it back in on yourself. And in my personal anecdotal experience, one of my brothers my mom like 
recently told me, you know, I think he's somewhere on the spectrum, which again, we're talking about ADHD, but um, similarly, but my dad didn't want him to get tested because the stigma was so much Mm. that he was like, I don't even want him to think that it could impact him that much. And that's how much the stigma was and how much that has impacted his life. So through that, like all of that said, when we're talking about this and we're talking about it for women where it has been sort of women and girls seen as not often an option when it comes to diagnosis, like that can't be the case. It's just that they're just being girls or whatever it is. Um, have you seen kind of a gendered aspect or through your research or through listeners when it comes to that sort of real negative self-talk and reflection? Yeah, we've definitely noticed something along those lines. So basically the research bears out what you're suspecting, Annie. Women and girls are much more likely to internalize their ADHD. And I'm using ADHD here as sort of an umbrella term for everything that comes along with it as well. They internalize what they perceive as their failings and their failures. Um, They internalize the ways that it makes them feel. So a lot of times what comes along with being a girl or a woman who has ADHD is a sense of perfectionism and striving because you're trying to mask your perceived quote-unquote failures. You go into overdrive, hyperdrive. You're trying to work all the time. You're trying to bake all the cupcakes and, you know, whatever the, whatever the case is. Girls and women with ADHD are also more likely to struggle with mood disorders, substance abuse, and there's that gray area in diagnosis and in symptoms where ADHD can be conflated with anxiety and depression and other mood disorders. And it's, it's not that the person in question doesn't have anxiety or depression, but it's that based on their life experiences with ADHD, they might then experience anxiety and depression. They might feel isolated. They might, you know, feel that like self-loathing kind of feeling. But when you go to the the doctor, the psychologist, the therapist, the psychiatrist, like you would hope you would get the correct diagnosis uh, to get the best, most effective help. But a lot of times what we see is the anxiety gets treated or the depression gets called out, but the ADHD is just still sort of back here lingering in the background. And that's kind of related to like why I said earlier, you know, my therapist was like, I think you have an undiagnosed attention issue because I started taking Wellbutrin years ago for depression because it's an antidepressant. It also so happens that Wellbutrin works on the same neurotransmitters that are at play in ADHD. And so when I started popping Wellbutrin, I was like, oh my God, I can read a book and focus and sit down and do my work. And so this is a very kind of short story long situation, but it was one of those moments where I was like, I had really been kicking myself for my inability to focus. And then once I felt like I could focus, I felt like I also had more value. And it's just, you can see how that kind of stuff can spiral out. All right. And to add to all of that, I would assume, because as we've had many conversations in general 
women are not believed that there is anything mm. to be diagnosed and or there is something to be treated. And we have to have that conversation, whether it is, again, there may be like multiple diagnoses that we're not looking at and we're not treating, or we're looking at one aspect, which is the bigger picture, and we're only treating a small part of the symptom and not the whole picture, which is that whole general question of like, who is actually being treated appropriately and not only appropriately being heard because I know with my own mental health stuff when I was going to a psychiatrist and we know in Atlanta and Georgia the practices that a psychiatrist can prescribe medication a doctor can prescribe medication but a therapist and a psychologist cannot it has to be a separate practice whole different story and my interactions which both of them were men but the first one was so dismissive of everything I said that it literally I had to paint a path of like just give me this drug please like that's <laughs> I literally had to come back and research it myself because his whole response was well I mean we could try this one if it doesn't work we'll try this one it literally was just throwing what would stick you know to me and I was like all right fine let's try let's try it this way and of course to say I complained about him I definitely did. But it's kind of that experience in itself, just being treated as if everything I say is just like, eh, but are you? But okay, fine. I'll give it to you because you're asking for it and you're going to bother me, which I feel like maybe a lot of women's experiences in general. Yeah, this is reminding me of a letter that we got from a listener who is... She, you would probably describe her as high-functioning. Um, she because of that masking and striving and overachieving, she always did really well in school. But the older that she got, and and you see this often with undiagnosed ADHD, the older you get, the harder all of that masking becomes because typically like your just day-to-day life responsibilities increase. So things like messiness, organization, being on time, like just the basic functions, not to mention like trying to complete bigger projects, just become these insurmountable hurdles. And she, for years, suspected that she had undiagnosed ADHD, but she was scared to get tested because she was worried that a doctor was going to tell her she was just trying to find an excuse for not working hard enough. And part of that, I think, is is the internalized like productivity and hustle culture, but also it is a byproduct of the gender stereotyping of ADHD as like the disruptive boy kind of thing. And it was just, it was so poignant to read that of that fear of, oh my God, well, maybe almost gaslighting herself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, of like, yeah. maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just making this up. Maybe I'm just making this up. Because what are we... The, the way that a lot of us are raised too is like, just apply yourself. Practice makes perfect. And you try as hard as you can. And that's the way that you can succeed right. in heavy air <laughs> quotes. But that is not really the case a lot of times. We also heard from a woman who was diagnosed after her son got diagnosed. And that's a super common pattern for women as well. Moms, a lot of times, will be diagnosed after their kids are because they see the diagnostic criteria and they're like, oh, uh, I think that's me. Also, ADHD (laughs) is highly heritable. But she also has bipolar disorder. And she said it took six different doctors for her to finally find someone who could distinguish the bipolar symptoms from the ADHD 
So a lot of times, like those those pre-existing mood disorders, first of all, those are gendered, right? As more mm-hmm. like female, we're like, oh yeah, anxious women, sure, have all the medication. <laughs> <laughs> um, and those symptoms can, um, it's almost like they camouflage, at least to clinicians, the ADHD. So it was a major struggle for her. But finally, you know, she got the diagnosis and it was, it was a game changer. Yeah, that's when I've talked to my friends about this, they've said like the power of just naming it, like that relief of just like bringing to tears of changing. Oh, wow. I wasn't just like, yeah, that gaslighting of yourself. This was a thing. Finally. And when it comes to this gendering aspect, I know that there's been a lot of recent research, not not a lot in the history, but a lot of recent research into that whole camouflaging aspect. And like societally, are women and girls just taught, at least as part of this puzzle, to be more like smaller and um, hide those kinds of things and those masking aspects. And and my friends, they talked to me about that too and how exhausting that was. So in terms of the gendering of this, like, are there, are there other aspects um, where it presents differently in men and women? But also just have you, through your research, why was it? <laughs> I mean, I think I know the answer, but why was it like seen as, oh, this is a boy's problem and not a girl's problem? And yeah, just different ways you think that men and women deal with it. As for why it's seen as a boy thing to begin with, or why it has been historically, truly the diagnosis was based on boys' behavior. They weren't really studying girls. Shocker. Like, they still (laughs) don't study girls and women enough, you know? And... I do wonder, part of me wonders, like, as I was reading the histories and reading the research, part of me wonders if, like, yes, there was always that tendency to study boys and men more than girls and women. But also, I I do wonder if part of the concern was, like, we need our boys to grow up and be, uh, you know, mature men who can contribute to this capitalist society and keep the patriarchy rolling smoothly, um, you know, versus women where it's like, well, if she's like a uh, flibbity gibbet. <laughs> sure. I'm trying to find a contemporary term. You know, <laughs> if, she, if she's a space cadet who can't focus, like who cares? She's just going to be at home with the kids, right? That That was always my sneaking suspicion of why, like, there was rarely any concern about whether and how these attention issues would manifest in girls and women. And I wonder, too, it's, it has a lot of the conversation. We're talking about masking and we're talking about uh, gaslighting yourself and performing, making sure you have to perform, that you're on top of things. We're taught yes. as young girls, especially if you're taught to be this gendered girl, to make sure that you can care for yourself. As we've talked about previously, and uh, we want to dig more into about what it looks like when we parentify young girls and how that really negatively affects them later in life. But a part of that is we already have our handful with the young boys and we knew that was going to happen. Young girls need to mind their place and be quiet. And when you become teenagers and you become a sexual figure, then we worry about you because we want to control 
the body as opposed to the behavior and or what you could grow up to be, I guess. That's a whole different conversation Mm -hmm. once again. But we're taught so young to play the perfect child, to play the perfect girl, to play the future wife of so-and-so. I mean, that's kind of what you're inundated with. Are you so excited? You know, that whole conversation about Mm. you want a husband like your daddy, that, that weird, weird, like, momming a young girl. Yeah. Like they, they want to do this so badly and to prove that that young girl is going to be a great mom or whatever, whatnot. And part of that lesson is hide all of your problems and be perfect. Yeah, I mean, that drives the masking, right? Of like, right. men, I think, generally have more room to be fidgety. <laughs> like, <laughs> essentially, I'll use that as like a stand-in. It's a Zappel Phillips world. <laughs> yeah, it is. We, we, it's Zappel Phillips world and we're just living in it. And I think <laughs> girls and women are, you're right, they're expected to be proper little ladies and handle themselves. And one of the reasons why so many women get diagnosed in their 30s and even their 40s is because that's also the age at which, like, if you're going to have kids, you're you're typically having those kids and (laughs) managing their schedules in your 30s and 40s, and the wheels fall off, for lack of a better (laughs) term. Yeah. I mean, that really was the pattern that we heard from listener after listener of striving and overcompensating growing up with undiagnosed ADHD hitting a breaking point that's usually triggered by things like, like we heard from people who were diagnosed in grad school, were going through like big career changes. They become parents, like these, these big pivotal moments where suddenly like things become too much. The wheels fall off. They're essentially forced to finally seek help. And then because there is just so much emotional buildup and so many years of internalizing all of this quote-unquote failure that when a doctor tells them, oh, it's not, (laughs) you're not just inherently a hot mess. It's actually ADHD. It is so, like, life-changing was a word that came up over and over again. And so that, that was another reason why we wanted to spend an episode on it was like, okay, these are We're hearing from women who do not know each other from all different walks of life who are all somehow following this this same kind of pattern. And it's not even taking into account, of course, like the the socioeconomics too that it takes to be able to even seek out treatment, get testing, and then get either medication or some kind of help for managing those uh, symptoms day to day. But uh, Caroline and I were talking about the the ways that it seems like, you know, adult men, yes, I'm sure they, they also struggle with, with ADHD, but that pattern of like the wheels falling off and hitting your breaking point just seems so particularly gendered to women. And I just asked Caroline, I was like, I think maybe the cure for adult ADHD is not your Adderall or Vyvanse, of course, and also side note, stimulants are not a cure, but maybe it's just having a housewife, <laughs> you know? I right? mean, because yeah. also, like, not also not to turn all, all men with ADHD into some, like, cishet, like, monolith. <laughs> but, I mean, 
like what are housewives there for? They keep things clean. They keep things tidy. They keep keep the household moving on time. They are doing like all of all right. of the kind of picking up all the slack. Yeah. And we're talking a lot recently about how that type of position, a person who is a wife as well as a mother, as well as a professional being in quarantine and how they've oh like God. tripled yeah. their workload. Could you imagine having an undiagnosed ADHD on top of that, not realizing how awful this is and having to be in such a containment in where you were expected to be the perfect wife and to handle everything, but also not to have that breakdown and, and not really having the access to get diagnosed and everything seems like it's just falling apart. Like I'm just, my mind is just reeling at that whole concept because yeah, I mean, if someone could take a part of my load off, that's phenomenal. I will say if it wasn't for Annie being on the show with me, I would probably have quit a long time ago. (laughs) She's my, she's my wife essentially (laughs) when it comes to taking this, you know, a big chunk of it, which I'm sorry, that probably is again. Not so good for her. Great for me. <laughs> Not so great for her. Uh, but that conversation Kristen and is I true. Understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just the whole bigger conversation of what it looks like when you have assistance, and it may not be the same as treatment. But there is that alleviation of like taking part of that symptom of some of those responsibilities off your plate, and so you kind of like, oh, it's manageable now. Maybe I, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do think that we should mention the. The silver linings that we also heard from folks because a lot of people we heard from who'd been diagnosed also said that getting that diagnosis was a breakthrough for allowing them to also appreciate their own neurodiversity and how they were wired. So like one listener mentioned that uh, with her ADHD, she's very chatty. And she was like, this this was a problem for me as a kid, uh, but... Now I I actually see it as a way that like people are drawn to me because of that. Like I'll talk to anybody. (laughs) We heard from other folks who said that they now recognize how their ADHD and sort of like the hyper focus and um, it's called time blindness that can happen where they get so sucked into something can actually be like a really powerful tool for their creativity. They've just had now to learn how to like kind of build structures around that so that they can actually stay on track with things. So some of the controversy and debates around ADHD and, oh, is it being overdiagnosed, I think speaks to a bigger conversations that need to be had around neurodiversity and like what is quote-unquote normal functioning. Right. And then that, again, that's Another question I had when it comes to the level of functioning, the uh, spectrum, because I think it's appropriate to say that as we look more and more into uh, diagnoses like these, it becomes understandable that there's different levels. And when we treat it as if it's just a checklist, then we're going to miss a lot and we're going to misdiagnose a lot. For women, has it come to the point that they are being appropriately, A, being diagnosed and appropriately on a spectrum of how to do the treatment, actually getting a treatment to their needs. Again, so maybe some people don't need those medications. Maybe some people need to have a therapy level of uh, treatment. Is that happening or is it being just dismissed kind of like in the 90s where they were just kind of throwing out those (laughs) pills and be like, okay, we're going to give you this diagnosis. Hopefully, this will help you. Has that changed? And for women, has it been appropriate to how they are being diagnosed? That's a really good question. I mean, I, I would say the answer is probably... No, because 
even though the the ADHD di- like diagnosis gender gap is much wider between boys and girls than it is between adult men and women. So in other words, like women start kind of catching up to to men in a way. But honestly, I don't know that folks have spent really even enough time focusing on that research because also up until, Caroline, when was it? Was it in the 2010s maybe or in the late 2000s that even the concept of adult ADHD is controversial in some clinical circles. So even the idea of getting diagnosed as an adult um, is a relatively new phenomenon. So yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I think it was classified as like a childhood disorder until relatively recently, which is another part of the puzzle as to why it can be so hard to A, get a diagnosis, but B, even before that, like even really consider it for yourself because it is just, it's gendered and it is also linked with kids. And the fact that it's been so moralized as like, this is something that kids have like bad kids and that you're supposed to grow out of it to be like a functioning member of society. I think it makes people feel like, well, this this is my fault. I also can't speak to, you know, whether girls and women are more likely than they used to be to get appropriate treatment. But Kristen did find some statistics around more women getting stimulant prescriptions. That's risen. Yeah, for better or for worse, across the board, for treating ADHD medically, stimulants are the go-to. So your Ritalin, Adderall, Vyvanse, etc. And we could have a whole other conversation too about like the history of stimulants um, and the fact that Adderall was originally developed as a weight loss drug. I mean, there's like a lot of problematic history there. And stimulants also have high rates of abuse and misuse, I should say. So, so, so that's kind of its own can of worms, which makes it challenging for the fact that like that is the go-to treatment. You go to a psychiatrist, they write you a script, and then you're fine, right? Uh, not so much. So I, I would imagine that for the kinds of ADHD coaching and the cognitive behavioral therapy that is probably helpful because also remember that you also, a lot of times for about a a third of of folks diagnosed with ADHD, they do have those comorbid mood disorders. So therapy is going to be really helpful. And then you're going to run into just the classic issues of like, who who can afford it? Does your health insurance cover it? Like, so I, I, I don't know how much those needs are being met. But according to the CDC, between... 2005 and 2013, there was a 700% increase in ADHD drug prescriptions for women between 25 and 29. That's a lot of numbers to say, we're getting prescribed (laughs) stimulants. That's for sure. And um, the hand-wringing that came along with that is the question of, oh, well, if you're taking stimulants and you get pregnant, is that going to endanger 
the pregnancy. So that's just another hurdle as well that people without uteruses and ADHD don't have to deal with. And recently on Unladylike's Instagram, we had a post asking about the the best response to people who are like, when are you going to have kids? And one of the, the folks answered like, when I can treat my ADHD safely and still get pregnant. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's just... It's not a simple answer. No. Uh, <laughs> and I think throughout this conversation, we've just seen so many elements that you can't separate out of like, yes, dismissing women when they say, I'm dealing with this, how women often internalize those kinds of things, and this history of not studying women <laughs> in any like form medicinally and and also mental health dismissal and this whole idea of like being that productivity is a moral thing and that's all a part of this conversation we're having that does make it um very complicated and it hearing stories from friends of mine and um listeners of yours of just the power of that like feeling so isolated and dismissed and then the power of getting that diagnosis and how important it is. Um, That's why this conversation is an important one to have. And it's weird. and Well, it's not weird. It's sad that the conversation (laughs) and studies are like, yeah, the 2010s. And I'm like, want to throw something out a window. (laughs) Um, Uh, I don't know if you have any um, resources that you want to shout out or anything for listeners if they want to learn more, perhaps. Two that I would recommend checking out. So these are both people I follow on Twitter. One is Danny Donovan. She is a... I don't know why I'm laughing. I just... I'm thinking of her, her cartoons. She is a cartoonist with ADHD and she started illustrating some of her experiences. She also does a bunch of... TikToks slash reels, I'm not sure which, but she really breaks down what it's like to live with ADHD. And very helpfully, she doesn't try to paint it as all like rainbows and silver linings because it's not all rainbows and silver linings. Very recently, she countered this guy who had put out a bunch of like TikToks where he was like, you're a failure if you don't see and use your ADHD as a superpower. Like it, it's going to let you multitask and think about all new sorts of stuff. And like, it's your fault if you're not using your ADHD better. And of course, she drops some really genius counters to that of like, my ADHD really <laughs> my life up a lot. <laughs> like, Stay in your lane, Zappel Philip. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think that that really sums up to a lot of the, the, the tweet discourse that's happening right now, that there's this urgency for a lot of people to be like, ADHD is awesome. I'm creative because of my ADHD. And, and I find that to be an interesting correction from our past, where we've come from, of ADHD being this like moralized, you know, dismissed kind of thing. And I, so I can appreciate the instinct to do that. But in doing so, folks like Danny Donovan are pointing out like, yeah, okay, like, it can be great to appreciate neurodiversity, obviously, but ADHD itself is not 
a solution to your life's problems. <laughs> In fact, it <laughs> creates many problems. Um, the other resource and voice I would shout out is Renee Brooks. Black Girl Lost Keys is her social media presence, her blog presence. Um, and she so she writes a lot about those intersecting layers of being a black woman dealing with ADHD on top of all of the symptoms and, and everything that comes along with it. Awesome. And then, of course, over on Unladylike, you did a whole episode on this. And as this, this episode comes out, the episode on Unladylike should be coming out around the same time. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Podcast magic. <laughs> yes, yeah. Magic. And what we, we did something a little different too with that episode where it's really driven by the voices of those listeners that we've heard from. Um, really just following that experience of growing up, striving hitting the breaking point and then having that breakthrough moment and what that what that tends to look like. So I'm really excited to hear from folks once we publish that episode because, I mean, clearly there's still a lot that we don't know. And also, again, like, definitely, definitely check out Black Girl Lost Keys and Renee Brooks's work because the aspects of, like, race, ethnicity, and socioeconomics is still one that is sorely lacking in the the current research and I'm hoping that that's kind of the next the next wave um so she is a great resource on on that is there anything else that you wanted to add before we do some shout outs and wrap up do you want a fun fact yes always, always. Okay. oh do you not know about my my fun fact episode over on 13 days of halloween where i basically came out firmly in the stance that uh Icebreakers are terrifying and they're the source of horror. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> Agree. Um, okay, so I have I have a fun fact about Ritalin that we were not able to get into the unladylike episode. And maybe it will delight y'all as much as it delighted me. So, Samantha and Annie, did you know that in 1944... A chemist named Leandro Panizone first synthesized the stimulant that would be branded Ritalin and that the name Ritalin <laughs> was an homage to his wife, Rita. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, <laughs> apparently Rita and Leandro loved taking Ritalin and playing tennis together. And they were like, <laughs> Our there game is. is amazing. There um, it is. So taking yeah. that vitamin R. <laughs> yeah. Oh Rita. Rita Lynn. Oh Rita. Rita Lynn. <laughs> that was a real roller coaster. I thought it was gonna be like snake related. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I gave it probably more intense wind up than it needed. <laughs> it's like uh, I knew good. that you'd told me that before, but I too was like, ooh. What are we about to learn? <laughs> <laughs> I just love talking about old Rita. As we should. As we all should. Just slaying the tennis courts. <laughs> I love it. Winding up on those tennis courts. Yes, mm -hmm. indeed. <laughs> Winding up. Yes. Well, thank you both so much for being here. Always appreciate fun facts. Where can the good listeners find you and check out your upcoming episode on women and ADHD? 
We are on all the socials at Unladylike Media. So please hit us up, tag us, ask us your questions, all of that good stuff. And you can email us at hello at unladylike.co. Oh, and the episode, you can find it anywhere that you can find your podcasts. Um, You can also go over to our website, which is unladylike.co slash episodes. I like that you took on a different accent and it was changing throughout. (laughs) Per sentence, it changed. uh, Animation in itself is the light. We really trotted out a lot of accents this episode. I'm proud of us, Caroline. (laughs) I feel feel like we're failing the Spinty legacy because we don't do all the accents. So, Uh, Annie, you and I are going to have to... uh, I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Oh, are you sure? (laughs) My accent, I have two accents. Cue super cut. Yes. Accent discussion tabled for now. Thank you both for being here. Come back anytime. Yes, please. Yes. Listeners, if you would like to contact us, you can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at stuff I've never told you or on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 